So before I tell you a story about what happened to me this week, I need to preface it with some information about myself because I don't know, maybe you'll show me some more grace if, if you get to know me a little bit better. Um, and you can confirm this with people who know me best, but, but I, I really struggle to relax. Um, and I don't mean that in a prideful way. Um, it is most certainly not a strength. Um, I struggle to relax, and it is a, a weakness. Um, you can confirm this with people who know me best, but uh, I can never really shut my, my brain down. I'm constantly thinking about the next thing uh, that, that I'm doing, even when it seems like I'm calm physically. Um, I'm running 100 miles per hour mentally. I, I just can't, can't shut it off. And some of you, you're like, I don't even know what that's like because you're terrific relaxers. Um, some of you, I would say, are professional relaxers. Um, you would say it's quite a strength of yours, and I'm, I'm very jealous of you. Um, I've taken many personality tests over the years, and, and I've agreed off and on with, with some of them, and there are two of them that, that have been my favorite. I bet I've taken... 100. And most recently, I, I found out what Disney princess I was. Um, and uh, dead serious. Um, I'd love to know what you think. Maybe we'll have a Facebook poll. Um, uh, but, but one of the personality tests, I remember I was in college, and this guy, our professor, he's now paid to travel around the world to large organizations and companies uh, to do this personality test. And he passed out everybody's, and I looked around, and I was the only one without one, and he had one paper in his hand, and, and he said, Josh Haltzum. And I was like, oh, dear God. And he said, I've never seen one quite like this. And I've told some of you the story. He said, the best way I can explain your personality is if David Letterman and Mother Teresa had a secret love child, uh, it would be you. And I'm still proud of that one. Um, uh, but, but there's another one that I took most recently, uh, and it described my brain as uh, the committee. Um, constantly debating things uh, back and forth. And in fact, there's been several times over the past... I guess it took about three months ago, where my wife will be talking to me, and she will just stop and look at me and say, all right, what's the committee thinking? And I'm like, well, I t- we're still dis- discussing it, um, but, but here's, here's what we're thinking. Um, because she, she knows, people who know me best know that I, there, there's this very small thing between my two ears, very small, um, and I just can't shut it down. It's constantly debating with itself. So I tell you that to, to preface it with this story. The other night, uh, I, I was putting my son Ezra to bed, and a lot of times he'll fall asleep on us, or uh, he's easy to go, go down. Um, but this night, he just he wasn't ready to go to bed, but it was bedtime. And so I went and I laid with him uh, next to his bed, and I was hoping he would doze off so I could leave the room. And we're laying there, and I don't, I, I don't know what you're imagining. Um, it was cute, but I was contorting my long self on this little bed, and, and I was getting um, anxious a little bit. But it was cute. There was this little cute boy his dad, and the committee um, was, there, was there with me. Um, and I was laying there. He wasn't falling asleep. I was getting a little impatient, and, and I was starting to think about everything that I needed to get done. And I was physically there with my son, uh, but, but mentally I was, I was elsewhere. I had all of these boxes that I just needed to check. And uh, so, so finally, and some of you have done this too, um, you pull out your phone because you have so much to do, and you try to get the brightness down as fast as possible. And I'm like, all right, you know, I need to email these people back uh, um, as if people are at 7.30 at night just like waiting on my response. Um, but I was sitting there and I was trying to get some stuff done and my son turns to me and he looks me dead in the eyes and he's like, Daddy, what are you doing? Ugh, I mean, what was I doing, right? Like why would I miss out on these, these precious fleeing moments just laying there with, with my son and and it hit me like a, a ton of bricks. It just stopped me in my tracks. What, what, am, I, what am I doing? Like, 
why am I so obsessed with, with life and checking boxes when I, when I have this just perfect moment laying there with my son? And, and with that sentence, he just said, Daddy, what, what are you doing? It, it made me realize that moment did just how much I had gotten a little off course with, with where I, I should be. Uh, I was just going through the motions a bit too much. I, I wasn't keeping the big picture in mind. I, I, I honestly admit that I had... In that moment, just that, that one question, Daddy, what are you doing? It, it revealed just, just how much I, I'd lost my way a, a little bit. It, it allowed me to kind of correct course. I thought, what am I doing? I just put my phone away and, and laid there and told the committee to shut it. Um, you know, and I share this with you because I, I think the words that, of Jesus that we'll cover today, if, if we take it seriously, it'll, it'll have quite the impact on some of us. And we're going to study another one of the parables of Jesus today in the book of Luke. And I think if we really wholeheartedly kind of push out distractions and allow Jesus' words um, to minister to us and to speak to us, I think that some of us, we're going to stop and think, you know, in the scope of all of eternity, what are we doing? Do we have actually the big picture in mind? Or are we just going through the motions, hoping that, that everything will just be fine and, and turn out well uh, in the end? Um, but what are we doing, you know? So last week we studied uh, Luke chapter 15, and in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three parables. He told three different stories to these group of religious leaders, these Pharisees, that they just love their own self-righteousness. They, they, they love themselves more than they love anything else. And this group was continually upset with, with Jesus um, because of the type of people that would flock to him. Just these sinners that society looked down on, and they were even upset with Jesus because Jesus didn't push them out to allow the whole, holy and self-righteous in. He, Jesus loves spending time w- with sinners. And so they're upset with Jesus about this, and so Jesus shares a whole, almost two chapters uh, worth of parables, worth of stories, to try to show these religious leaders how God thinks. Because they can understand how God thinks about people, how God thinks about the world, then they can understand Jesus' actions a little bit better. They can start to understand the heart of God. And so all through Luke 15, Jesus tells these stories, these parables, to get the, the religious leaders to understand what really matters most. And, and we should read all of those and take it to heart, because it's going to reveal to us what, what should really matter most in this world and in our lives. But Jesus continues on. He tells them two parables, or two chapters worth of parables. He gets to Luke 16, and he tells that same group uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is the story we're going to cover today. And some of you who are familiar with the Bible, um, it's not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. Um, it's, it's another Lazarus. Uh, some people call this parable uh, the parable of the rich man and the beggar. Um, if I was titling this, it would be called the reality of heaven and hell. That's what this parable, uh, if I could name it, would be called. Um, the reality of heaven and, and hell. And it's fun to talk about heaven. A lot of people love talking about heaven. Who doesn't want to talk about heaven? But surprisingly, a lot of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we never want to talk about the reality of hell. We love this idea of the reality of heaven, but we never want to talk about hell. In fact, there's a lot of studies that have been done that, that show that, that uh, Americans and, and a lot of Christians wouldn't think that a Bible without hell would be an imperfection. A lot of people think that a Bible without hell would be an improvement. Uh, Pew Research did a study recently that said uh, 72% of those who consider themselves Christians here in America, um, 72% of them believe in heaven, uh, but only 58% even believe in hell. It's not fun to talk about hell, 
Um, I, I get that. Um, some of you are like, you're talking about hell because you've got three weeks left. You're darn right. Um, that's why I'm talking about hell. Um, but we may be surprised at how often that Jesus actually spoke about hell. Um, if you go through and study all the words of Christ, he actually spoke about hell almost twice as much as he talked about heaven. And almost everything we know about hell comes from the lips of Jesus himself. The same man who talked about grace and love and, 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 and mercy and forgiveness, he, he also frequently warned his followers, warned the, the world around him about the realities and dangers of hell. And we'll see this as, we conti- as he continues speaking. Uh, Jesus, once again, he's talking to the self-righteous Pharisees, and he tells them the, the, rich, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And so here's how it starts. Jesus said, there's a, a rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. There's a rich man, he was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he lived each day in luxury. Well, we know today that, that, that purple is a secondary color that you get when you mix uh, red and blue. But over the course and, and the span of history, that meant that it was more expensive. But about 900 years before Christ, they dedicated the color purple uh, to, to be adopted for kings and nobles and priests and magistrates. Uh, you wore purple and it told the world as you walked around it that, that you were wealthy and that you were important. And so purple clothes were reserved for those who, who were at the top of society. And even further, the Pharisees, these religious leaders that Jesus is speaking to, they truly believed that wealth was a sign of your righteousness. Uh, if you're wealthy, that means you're upright, you're in good standing. Being rich was actually, they thought, a sign of your holiness. As if God was winking at you and, and you were just wealthy. God loved you and that's why you're rich. That's what they really believed. So if you had a lot of money, that meant you had a lot of favor from God in your life. And if you have a lot of favor from God in your life, then you know you're going to spend time with God in the afterlife. Surely you'll end up with him when all of this is said and done. And this is what people truly believed. And sadly, there's still a, a lot of popular million-dollar television preachers. There's one on some main station preaching right now, and, and he has all kinds of followers who still believe this today. If you're wealthy, it means God is winking at you almost. So clearly, these religious leaders that Jesus is speaking to, they would have been quite wealthy since they thought of themselves uh, to be quite holy. To add another layer to this thinking, Jesus says, now at his gate, so there's the rich man, splendidly dressed in purple, he's wealthy, and at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. That'll ruin the coffee uh, you're drinking right now. The dogs would come and lick his open sores. So if the religious leaders thought that wealth was this wink from God, then quite the opposite is true for poor people. Quite the opposite is true if you find yourself being poor. The rich man was clothed in purple, while the poor man, Lazarus, he's basically clothed in, in, in sores. He's dressed in sores. So you have two people on, on opposite ends of society spectrum. One thinks they have it all together, thus they're headed towards heaven. And then you have another who, who's experiencing such hell on earth that he in all society believes that God has abandoned him entirely. And Jesus continues, Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. If you, you've never been to church before or don't know the Bible, Abraham is highly regarded as a man uh, that, that, that God revealed himself to and made quite a big time promise. So the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died, and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead, 
There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus, the poor man, at his side. Now, when Jesus spoke this into existence, it would have been a, a significant plot twist. This poor man seemingly had nothing going for him, but by society's standards, they'd have said, this poor man has nothing going for him. Clearly, God is against him. But yet, he's the one who ended up in heaven. And then you have the wealthy man that everyone wanted to be like. Everyone had said, he's holy. Look at him. Look how wealthy he is. God must love him. He's wearing purple. He's, he's important. But yet, it's that man, the man that society would least expect. That's the man who ended up in hell. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is speaking to this rich religious audience who thought that God was winking at them because of how wealthy they were. And they would have been irate at the story that Jesus is telling them. And it's, they're not going to be any happier. Jesus continues. Uh, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham... He didn't say it. Um, you guys know that song, right? Um, I didn't grow up in church. Um, and when I, I went straight from being really bad to being really bad, but attending a Bible college. And um, they did a, a morning where they're like, we're going to sing all of these, the kids songs, it's kids worship. And there's like, I, light of mine, this one. Um, they're, I never felt like I belonged to a cult in my life. Then I'm like, yeah, they, how do they know this? And, and this is one of them. Um, so the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, um, have some pity. Uh, send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue I am in anguish in these flames. He's wanting the beggar who is at his gates, who he sees up in heaven. He, he's, he wants the beggar to now come and help him. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over uh, to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. He's like, I got family. I don't want them to be in hell. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Uh, which is Jesus giving a bit of foreshadowing about what he would do three days after he was dead. He's saying they're not even going to believe it when I, when I raise from the dead. Now there's a lot of different ways that you can take this story and, and apply it. Um, we talked about this the past couple of weeks. It's one of several parables that Jesus tells and he doesn't give us this immediate application. Um, he kind of, I think, just leaves it up to some multiple interpretations. And, and, and I've heard it preached a hundred times that this is just a story about how we who are wealthy, we should give to the poor. And, and you should. Honestly, if God's given you all that you, you need, we're never going to have all we want. But if God's given you all that you need, then you, you should be willing to help people out. You should be selfless and loving and, and help other people out. And I've heard it preached this way many times. You could even say this is a simple story about heaven and hell. And we could preach that, and I could really scare you this morning. Um, but I think this is more than just a story about heaven and hell, more than just a story about the fact that people, you and I, we have very real souls, and those souls are going to have a very real destination at the end of our life. Um, I think on a deeper level, this story is about disillusionment and, and confusion and mistakes that people, even some of us right here today, make when we think about what gets us into heaven or, or what, what gets us into hell or what gets us into heaven or what keeps us from hell. 
I think when we read this story, it begs the question, with this internal destination in mind, it's very real for all of us. We need to look in our lives right now and say, what are we doing? Like when it comes to our souls having a very real destination, family and friends that we love, their souls having a very real destination, when heaven and hell, when we come to the grips that it's a real place, like what are we doing? And I think in light of this story, where clearly people had some misconceptions about what got you to heaven or what sent you to hell. I think this story begs us to think about heaven and and hell and maybe some lies that we're believing about it. Things just aren't true at all. I think for some of us, it it needs to shake us a little bit. Um, Like my my son asking that question, and he just stop us in our track. And some of us need to consider, have we made a decision at all to make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior? Do we think we're just going to go to heaven because we just went to church? You see, just like that society in which Jesus shared the parable, um, that they thought that your wealth was a sign of God's blessing on your life, and, and Lazarus's poverty was a sign of God abandoning him, and as if their current circumstances gave us this window into their eternal destination, that just wasn't the case. Yet even here to, to today, in, in 2021, we believe all kinds of things to be true about heaven and hell, and, and I promise you that's not something you want to be wrong about. You don't get to change that that situation once it's happened. We've got to make a decision about the afterlife in, in, in this life. There, 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 there's not a second chance there. Now, when we talk about heaven and, and, and about hell, these very fun things to talk about, um, we, we really need to familiarize ourselves with, with Jesus' words on, on this subject. And especially um, anytime we talk about heaven and hell or, or preach about it, every, every pastor, every Bible study, they, they should dive into Matthew chapter 25. Because in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the final judgment, but most importantly, in these words you're about ready to read, it's not just about the final judgment. It's about what, what our lives need to look like right now, too. So here's what Jesus says. It's, it's, it's a long passage. Jesus, this is him speaking, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he's talking about when he returns, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence And he will separate the people as shepherds uh, separate the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. So get this. All right, we'll come back to this in a minute. Heaven was created for us. It says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, Jesus said, and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? When did we see you naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. This is significant because Jesus' words reveal that spending eternity in heaven isn't about wealth. It's certainly not about just saying the right sentence once in your life or having all the right answers to all the right questions. What Jesus' words reveal here is that it's about, first and foremost, making him your Lord and Savior. But then it's about love. It's about loving him and his way for your life enough that you're willing to go and love other people. It's about not just reserving our seat in the kingdom, but bringing the kingdom here, uh, making it available to people in our life. 
And I, and I cannot stress this enough. Some people think that if you just say this one time sentence about letting Jesus into your heart and, and you never once try to live for him or glorify him or please him, you never want to live how he tells you to live, then you're still going to get the eternity that you want. But to be honest, that's not a relationship. That's a contract. That, that, that's a contractual way of thinking as if we can say one thing and never put our heart into it and then expect everything from God. That's not the way it goes. You, 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 and you know, I'm not saying you, you can earn your way into heaven because you can't earn your way into heaven, but, but just saying one thing and thinking you're reserving your seat in heaven, you can't manipulate your way into heaven either. Now, we got to be serious about our relationship with Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself uh, would be so bold as to say this. Jesus says, and, and he calls the shots, he makes the rules. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of us who are just busy for him while neglecting a relationship with him. But I will reply, Jesus says, I never knew you. And that should mean something to us. That's not just about checking boxes. It's not just about being busy. It's not just about listening to Christian radio or the t-shirts or memorizing scripture. He wants to know you. And if you want to spend eternity with him, wouldn't you want to know him now too? He wants to know. He says, Bible reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. This just tells us you're not going to be perfect, but you really need to be serious about your relationship with Jesus and, and, and living to glorify him. It's got to be more than just waking up, going through the motions and going to bed. It's got to be more than just saying the prayers before your meatloaf and then never thinking of him again, right? It's got to be, there's got to be more to it than that. Now back to Jesus' words in Matthew 25, he, he already addressed the, the, the crowd to his right who, who will have eternity in heaven because they've made this decision about him and they've, they've lived and loved how he wanted them to. And now he shifts to the other crowd. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. I'm going to stop, stop here. It jumped out to me this week that in that previous long text we read that Jesus tells the righteous, he tells people who have a relationship with him and want to live and, and love for him, he says, I've prepared this kingdom for you. I've, I've, I've prepared heaven for you. But when we read this, it says, away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. That hell wasn't created for us. Hell wasn't prepared for you. He's got something bigger in store. And he goes on and says, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me to your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Not according to me or any other preacher, but according to Jesus, heaven and hell are very real places. It's it's more than just a one-time decision. It's about loving God and loving people he puts in your path. It's if you, if you remember anything about my ministry here, just remember it's, it's all about love. That's what this all comes down to. 
Uh, we know we will need grace by the bucket loads in our lives. We need to make sure that we take Jesus' words to heart about what he says regarding the afterlife. We've got to guard ourselves uh, to make sure we're not believing these lies in our culture about heaven and hell that are really easy to believe. Because just like that religious audience Jesus was speaking to, they all got it wrong. They had no idea what got you into heaven or what got you into hell. And, and we can believe lies and false ways of thinking as well. Um, all of us have heard, all good people go to heaven. I think that was loosely founded after a movie about dogs um, going there. Um, but but we, you hear people say, and I think sometimes it's just to comfort you after a loss. I think sometimes it's to make us not feel bad. But I've heard so many people say, well, you know, all good, all good people go to heaven. I wish that were true. I so wish that were true. That all good people go to heaven, but... But according to Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus is approached and someone calls him good. And he says, who are you calling good? Only God is good. They call Jesus good. And Jesus says, no, don't you get it? Only God is good. Only God is holy. So we're not. We're too imperfect. We're sinners. We're not good on our own. So even if all good people went to heaven, this would be as, heaven would be as vacated as this place on a Saturday morning. Just be Harold walking around looking for something to do. Um, just kidding. I don't think he does that on Saturday morning. Um, another one I, I've heard, this misconception that we tend to believe, just like people in Jesus' day and age believe these misconceptions, was um, all religions lead to the same destination. Um, all religions lead to the same destination. That's insane. Someone said that to me three weeks ago when they found out I was a pastor, which usually... Here's what happens in the room. You want to know what it's like to be a pastor? Here's what it's like. People find out you're a pastor. They apologize for the F words, right? And then they talk to you differently the whole time. That's what my life is like, friendship. Um, and so uh, this one person said, I don't, I don't get, I, I guess all destination, you know, I think all religions go to the same destination. And I said, do you realize that there's no religion that actually believes that? If we had all the religions in this room and said, how many of you believe all religions go to heaven? None of them would raise their hand. That's a religion in and of itself, to believe that all religions go to heaven. That's, that's not true. Can you imagine all religions in, 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 who all think they're right in the same destination? You know what happens when, when you get all these religions in one spot who think they're right? Crusades? War? Terrorism? Heaven would be a wreck if that were the case. It's insane to think that all religions lead to heaven. And another one, and I could go, go on and on, but I'm already running a little bit over, but I'm on borrowed time, so fire me. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> it's very true. Um, we've all heard the argument that if there was a, a loving God, he wouldn't send people to hell. Well, we just read two passages, and, and one said that heaven was created for us. And the other passage said hell was created for Satan and his demons. Hell was not created for us. Heaven was created for us. And, and we've, all, we've all heard people say, well, a loving God, he wouldn't send people to hell. But God doesn't send people to hell. And I hate what I need to say right now, but, but it's the truth. God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. Because God made a way through Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins so we can have eternal life. A holy God did not have to make a way for unholy people like us, but he chose to. He doesn't send people to hell. He created heaven for us. He didn't create hell for us. 
And the reality is that there's never been anyone like Jesus. And the reality is Jesus is the only way to heaven. And that way is not always easy, but it's so beautiful. And it's, it's the only way to provide you with not only the afterlife you want, but the best life you want right now. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He is not a way. He, he is the way. It's the only way. And regardless of their reputation, their popularity, their achievements, their holiness, no one can come to God unless it's through Jesus. And here's why Jesus can say that. And this next slide or two, I don't, uh, probably five, uh, is way too much. Uh, it, it may be overwhelming to some of you, but I'd encourage you. We'll, we'll probably put it somewhere online in the next week, but take a picture of it if, if you want. But, but here's why Jesus can say, rightfully so, that he is the only way to heaven and why we need to wrestle with that. Because one, Jesus was chosen by God to be the savior of the world. Okay, 1 Peter 2, 4. He was the only one chosen by God to be the savior of the world. And as such, he's the only person to have lived a perfect life. Hebrews 4.15, he's the only person to have lived a perfect life. Some of you are, are jotting this down. We're going to go pretty fast. If, if you want, to, I'll be here. I can give you my manuscript afterwards. Um, not only that, Jesus is the sole sacrifice for our sins. In the Old Testament, before Jesus, there are just so many sacrifices that try to keep unholy people like us in a good relationship with God. But then Jesus came and he's the only sacrifice we need. And Jesus uh, alone is the only one who fulfilled the prophets. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus that he met and hit exactly right, exactly when he should. And that should jump out to some of us because we've never, some of us have never been on time once in our life, right? And Jesus was on time every time in his life. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies. I read a scholar this week said Jesus actually fulfilled over 485 prophecies. I didn't have time to count them. We'll say 300. We know that for sure. Jesus is the only man to conquer death forever. If you conquered, if you die on a cross and three days later you say, I am the way, I'm going to believe it. Why wouldn't you? And because he's the only one to conquer death, he's the only mediator between man and God, between you and I and God. And what I love is because of Jesus' resurrection, because of his spirit dwelling in us, those moments where you're so heartbroken or frustrated and you just don't have words to pray, it says because Jesus was resurrected, his spirit is the mediator between us and God. He prays for us when we can't even speak words. And then Jesus is the only man that God has exalted to, to the highest honor. And we, I, believe it or not, I narrowed that list down, not to steal Jesus of his ribbons, but the fact that we can only cover so much in the morning, but but he is the only way. There's no one like Jesus, and only through Jesus can we have eternal life. Right? It doesn't mean that, that, that life is going to be easy. Uh, using some rock song titles, you've probably heard this too, there, there's a reason that there's only a stairway to heaven but a highway to hell. Right? Because it's not going to be easy. And I'll start shutting up now because I'm going, going way too long because this stuff is just it's so important, guys. Um, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he, he, he gets a, approached by, by, by some people, and, and, and the people notice that the crowds are starting to turn their back on Jesus. I don't, there's a lot of different reasons they did, but he was growing in popularity, and then people just kind of started rejecting him, and they didn't want to be with him. And in John 6, 6, Jesus turns and he looks at his disciples and says, do you want to go away as well? He sees no one else wants to be with him. He's like, do you, do you want to leave me too? And, and Peter responds, and, and he's so right in his response. He says, Lord, to whom would, would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe 
and we know you are the Holy One of God. Leave that up there for a second. When you reach this confidence in God, where you know you have nowhere else to go, but in his presence, he is solely your hope. When you get to this point, you know where your eternal home is going to be. When you're just as sold out as Peter was, when you think, where else would we go? You have the words to eternal life. And when we're on our way to, our, to that eternal life, moment by moment and day by day, it's, it's our job to, to love people towards that hope as well. You may not have the right words, all the knowledge, but you've got that love. And if you show it, people are going to know it's coming from something other than you. But I think on a parable like this, some of us, we just need to spend today and this week thinking about what is it that we're believing? What are we doing? Some of us need to be shaken out of our lull and ask ourselves, what are we doing? If heaven and hell are real, then what are we doing? What are we really living for? Are we living for some of these false lies that if we're good, we'll go to heaven or all religions go to heaven or that we even want to spend eternity forever with a God that we don't get to know now? I think a lot of us, we got to stop and believe, are we really believing Jesus' words about heaven and hell? Are we believing these lies? Some of us, we've never given our life to Christ and in this parable, it has to make us consider like, are we gonna put our stake in the ground for Jesus? Because once you do, man, best, the best life possible, I promise you. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful that you are loving enough to give us so much warning. Um, I'm so thankful that that you care about us enough to, to, to give not only the religious leaders these stories, but to give us stories that can kind of shake us out of our slumber and make us consider, what are we really doing? If heaven and hell are real, what are we doing? Help us to, to, to be about your business in our lives. It's so easy to build our own little kingdoms here. Allow us to build your kingdom here. God, there are many of us who have not stopped to, to consider a relationship with you. We've believed these cultural lies, and God, if we've done that, forgive us, show us how we've been erroneously thinking for all these years. God, I'm so thankful that, that, that in Scripture you tell us heaven was created for us. There's so many people in our lives, maybe even people here today or online, who think that you're this angry God with your arms crossed waiting to send people to hell, but I'm so thankful that in Scripture, in your word, you've said, no, 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 I've created heaven for you. Hell's for Satan and, and for his demons. So God, allow us just to accept that, 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 that grace, that, that gift of love and, and, and eternity with you. Knowing everything we've ever done wrong, it's just put the rest, it was nailed to the cross. Only through Jesus can we find the forgiveness for, for all the ways we've messed up and not just in this life, but take that forgiveness and, and carry it with us in the afterlife. God, as we go about our week, Allow us to just ask ourselves, what are we doing in light of heaven and and hell, in light of a very real soul that has a very real destination? What are we doing? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.